Welcome everyone to the first official episode of Who Needs Heroes? I guess we're calling it Nova. With you here today is me. I'm Braden, or Gello as we normally say. With me is Dylan. Hello. Who ran the game. I do want to reiterate, this is just a playtest version of the game that we had access to. We are going to be sending these uh, suggestions of changes to the developer, and we'll see how that works out. So when we did this recording was in towards the end of April. So just in case anything has coming out come out since then, that is the last time we played the game, the last version of the game that we played on Nova. The game we are playing is Night. The game developer is Armored Games, which is based out of Australia. And I will say, it sounds like he was very excited to um, have us playtest the game and look at it. So with all that said, let's start to get into the nitty gritty. First off, we're going to be taking a look at the rule book and how it's formatted and what the setting of the game is. So first off, formatting and readability. Dylan, since you ran the game, how readable was this uh, handbook? Yeah, definitely. So um, so the organization, um, I think, is really well done. I think as he walks through the different phases, it's really intelligent. And um, as there's some history in the back of the book, too, that's pretty useful. Um, again, I'm not... I don't know. I've seen a couple movies like of the Arthurian legend, but as far as like running a game in that world goes, it might be a little difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. And he really kind of touches on some of the uh, important things to keep in mind. It's very reminiscent of a powered by the apocalypse system and their agenda. Um, he essentially says like, Hey, here's how to have a good setting. So it definitely helps. Um, it's really well done. I think just a couple clarifications as far as like the way certain roles are presented as well as the organization maybe around how the phases flow into each other and what you do between each phase could use a bit of spit of a second pass. But other than that, honestly, it's really well done. Um, not a whole lot of critique I would have for it. Yeah. I'm not normally one to advocate for charts or like ordered lists, but I feel like the phases, scenes and rounds aspect of this game could use a nicely formatted list to tell you what order to go through everything in. Yeah, definitely. I actually made one in Excel uh, whenever right before we were in the <laughs> game, so uh, I kind of had that laid out. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was another one problem which we had a lot, of, a little bit of fun with, a lot of bit of fun in our playtest, which is I didn't, at least to start with, know the difference between the male and the female name, so I assumed it was a first and last name. That's just a little bit of a. <laughs> A little bit of a nitpick that I'm sure they're going to get fixed in a later version, but you know, fun stuff happened because of it. So for the setting, now this is this is an interesting setting to me specifically because it is the essentially the Arthurian setting, but it has magic in it. It explicitly states that magic is possible and real, even though for the most part it seems like access to magic from your characters isn't super easy to get yeah i would say like even even more so than that it probably isn't something that you'll ever do or take part in um it's presented as very um very slow very what's the word very purposeful um i mean there is some level of magic in that like right there's merlin and, and arthur and, and that those stories about the knights at the round table 
Um, so magic is somewhat somewhat prevalent, but it's definitely always going to take a backseat. And I think that, that's something that actually makes the system pretty unique. It doesn't feel the need to bring in something more fantastical um, to maybe make your characters feel more like bombastic. It's it's definitely a good amount of restraint that's shown there. I, I do like that restraint. It it does set it apart. So with that, we get into a little bit of the number crunching, my favorite aspect of this whole thing, which is the system. Uh, first off, character creation. How easy was it? How hard was it? Being one of the people here that made a character, I did enjoy rolling for pretty much every aspect of the character, although I don't necessarily know, just being fresh into this, the difference between the different uh, fates that they offer. They give uh, patron spirits or saints that you can pray to for help in times of need. But I guess it doesn't really explain the differences between those, other than there's ones of the holy faith and ones of the pagan faith. For the rest of the characters, it's not a super like it's not a super stretchy system. There isn't a lot of there there isn't an infinite amount of characters that you can make from this, mechanically at least. Uh you can you only have three stats that you can assign vigor, prowess, and wit, and each of those only gets an eight, a ten, or a twelve. But there is uh traits which i think is an interesting concept that is i believe in the vein of the lighter games like monster of the week powered by the apocalypse stuff with you know the access to specific traits like saying they're a marshal who is more adept in moving armies around a spy master who's better gathering secrets a lancer that sort of thing who can you can use those traits to leverage your character's uh, strengths to gain like an extra die or a bonus to something. I know one thing that you have in this regard, uh, Dylan, you mentioned it earlier, is the air system. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, it does dive into a bit of rigidness whenever it comes to that. I think it falls within the fee phase, if I'm not wrong. But... Um, the, the system is very open, right? Kind of really encourages you to build out your own, um, build out your own fief and kind of what you do in that time. And it's very, very, very open-ended, um, save a table that you can roll on, uh, for certain events, which even that can of course be changed or even put to a D100 system if you really want. But there is a bit of rigidness that comes in whenever it comes to your lineage and it's very technical about it. For instance, I think in the rules is printed, um, you can ha you can, what is it? Essentially, you roll to have a child. You say that, and it's a it is a it is a mechanic in the game, and then you can kind of address your lineage in different ways, uh, and it has its own mechanics for that. And in a game that's so open ended about character interaction, I think it would maybe be a lot more interesting to a lot more interesting to maybe show those interactions through scenes instead of simply rolling. Right? What is what does that lineage look like, and where does it go? Even if that means setting scenes in the future, kind of down the road of potential, like of potential conflicts that arise because of it. 
yeah i i really don't have anything to like any suggestion about how to improve as far as rolling for a child goes um i think having like a sentence or two to say like you know it's not it doesn't have to be just one child and i encourage you to make a scene about like what happens after the child is born how they're taken care of how they're named that sort of thing if there's a ceremony with all of that, I really did enjoy the character creation, and I enjoyed the ease of it, which I guess we can get into the reason for that right now, is it seems like this game is supposed to move very, very fast. You have characters that will live, grow old, and then get cut down before their time, and then you'll have to make an heir to bring in and then continue their lineage's story. And so the fact that the character creation system is this simple is actually, I'd say it's, it's a benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So for setting creation, I didn't actually take a look uh, into the back half of the book. I think we'll get into that later. But for the setting creation, having each player create a marker on the map, create their own fief and create a couple of things about the world to you know bring it to life i think that's a cool idea that i don't think i've seen in a lot of games that used to do that but there's a lot more that are like encouraging that sort of uh bringing the players into the game yeah definitely uh i i for sure think so it, it, it also we didn't really it didn't really impact our game so much but um, each player can kind of put down their own um, in natural piece of the environment, right? Whether that's like an important cliffside or a dark forest or a waterfall or something like that. And alongside the fiefs and kind of how that ties in, it definitely makes the world feel really alive. And also, I think I, you can definitely see as this game goes on, as the campaign runs, the world could feel almost claustrophobic in a weird way where you you're told you only should do this on something about the size of a sheet of paper uh and in the rules they give you guidelines on how large the fiefs should be on that on that map and kind of where they should fit on that continent and following those guidelines it's it's fairly close right it makes the world feel really alive because of that uh it's not like uh it's not like a dungeons and dragons map where the nearest town might be on paper 500 miles away uh and it's just just swath of open land Instead, this feels really intimate and really, um, like I said, yeah, really alive. Um, I mean, this this is the type of game that would be absolutely perfect to have, like, a 3D model for the map, have some sort of terrain, have actual, like, models for the for the fiefs would be awesome. Well, those are something like Legos or something like that. Um, yeah, just, it's a really, really cool way of doing it. Um, it's definitely pretty unique from what I've seen. I'm not sure if many other systems have it, but yeah. I think it's really good. And so the phases, scenes, and rounds, the the beating heart of this game, the cycle of gameplay that we go through, I think we already mentioned, I already mentioned I would like a chart for it. I think that would definitely help with, honestly, the sheer amount of stages that you go through. I, there's a lot of, like, stages, right? There's the, there's the thief phase, there's the I guess we started on the adventure phase, right? Yep. Yeah. So there's really three. It's adventure, thief, and then free. Um, but 
yeah, it, it, and the line starts to blur uh, kind of between those, especially Fief and Free. Yeah, and like you said, kind of there's there's certain things you're supposed to do in each phase, in certain ways things are handled. But there's a lot of crossover, and I do think it really would benefit because I, whenever I was running the game, I missed it. And if you if you go back and listen, you can actually hear we. I was more interested in pursuing a storyline, and so we kind of jumped in between an adventure phase and a fee phase, and then kind of pushed through a storyline right away. But rules in like the rules is written, it is very rigid that hey, um, you should be doing improvements uh, in between these parts. And so either having that laid out on a chart where it's easily accessible and it's kind of always there in front of you and laid out, even if, I mean, I probably should have had that in my notes, but kind of for first time players, it would be nice. Yeah. And I, I think the I think the individual phases definitely like it, the game almost breathes in a weird way where you have these very, very like, you know, they're, they're adventurous, they're exciting moments. And then in the fee phase, you have these much longer longer encounters longer challenges that you can really stretch out and what i think is very nice about that uh the thief phase is the fact that there is the event table which has 20 different things that can happen and each one of those is just a single word that you can extrapolate whatever you want to out of it it's a little bit harder on the dm to like come up with a story like that out of that kind of thing but gives so much flexibility and yeah like the the ability to maybe sometimes swap the free and fee phase might be to the benefit of some people i think the the main problem that we had and that dylan brought up was that the improvements for your character and your toasts for certain role-playing scenes is done in the fief phase after you know your event but you can probably delay that until after the free phase when people have done their own you know crazy stuff that's not just a bear attacked you and you handled it yeah definitely and i i think honestly that table it saves kind of down moments right of having to like sit there and create this this like event or whatever in your head from whole like uh, from new cloth yeah definitely I, and i think that really helps drive a lot of kind of these scenes that you build right and how the characters interact yeah and i guess this is the place to really maybe jump into it now is kind of the critique i have of the toasts and the way the improvements work and where that fits in yeah i think that's the i think that's that's definitely the critique i have is moving improvements uh and when you kind of talk about that glory to the end of the free phase that could kind of blur the line further between fief and free, but I think that line's already blurred enough, probably intentionally as well. The free phase really helps you kind of t- tie up those loose ends that you might have for an individual character. Yeah, so I would maybe move that uh, to the end of the glory improvement phase because in free phase, something interesting might happen. You might have a callback to a scene where you do something or um, there would be more action than that. And I will say the benefit... And I guess sort of the drawback of this system of the beating heart, the breath of Adventure Fee Free is that it lends itself very, very, very well to a longer game that continues and rolls and you just have over the course of almost probably a year. But it kind of is cut short when you have shorter games like we were doing just here 
because you only go through the whole system like twice and you don't get to see the characters grow as much as the system is designed to slowly let them grow yeah definitely agree with that so that brings us into the check system fairly standard it's instead of adding your uh ability score to the dice you try to roll under that score using your d20 so for a if you have a 20 in a score which i don't recommend ever having in this system it's a guaranteed success it's a fairly straightforward system however there is one itty bitty nitpick uh that can be made that i appreciate as a numbers person but is kind of hard to comprehend for people which is when you're having player versus player roll-offs whoever gets the highest number while still being under their score wins and so what that does is that gives more of an edge more of a margin for the people who are better at those things to succeed above the people who are worse while still playing within the bounds of previous successes it's just that a couple of people are going to have trouble with knowing that they have to roll low but also roll higher than the other person kind of thing right i think it might not be the most intuitive thing for most players yeah the way it should be explained is sort of like almost a blackjack kind of thing you're trying to get as high as possible without busting over your uh, ability score for that thing i think that would that sort of phrasing would simplify and help people understand it because i do like that mechanic yeah, I think it's really, I think it's really good. I think it's pretty unique, and it it keeps the weight of like having you know having to explain, hey, this is a plus two, this is a plus one, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, I think overall it's a really really cool way of set up, um, kind of having those rules. Next thing we have is effect die and activity numbers. Um, now this is something that I'm positive has been in other games, but I personally have never played it before, and I have to say. When you roll high, it feels it feels like you can kind of steamroll stuff. And when you roll low, it feels really, 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 really bad. <laughs> because you have no bonuses. If you roll a one, you did a one. Right. If you fail five rolls in a row, you're going to go five rounds without doing... Well, you're going to do four rounds without doing anything against an activity number of five which is supposed to be the easy one right yeah yeah and kind of how you assign different die and things like that um in the book it's purposefully left open um i think even he he does kind of a clever thing and it's in uh it's there's an example of play in the book and there's a small note that i definitely agree with and i think is like a good tip to most people running games for, for players is maybe just side with your player 99% of the time. If they want to do something that they feel improves their chances, right? Yeah. In the system, you assign a die that you roll in order to try to hit the activity number. You might improve that from a D6 to a D8 based on certain conversations or arguments or whatever they're doing in game. But yeah, it definitely encourages the GM to empower the player. And I think that's always a good idea. And, you know, it helps you as a player feel empowered. But um, I definitely agree with you where just purely rolling the die even if you have a d12 and you 
are supposedly a lot more powerful than this thing, right? Whether that be an army or another knight or a, um, or a tree that you're trying to fell. You roll the one, it hurts. <laughs> it really hurts. And it doesn't seem like you're really chipping away at that progress. Yeah, and I do think it's a good idea having everybody understand and know the activity number. He's very overt about that to say it up front and to list it out loud. And I think that helps players not kind of get lost in the weeds of, hey, you know, it's not so vague for them. So after the effect die and all of our dice stuff, we have traits, the stuff that can affect your dice. Now, this does something that I don't see too many games do that I'd like to see more of, which is affecting the size of your dice, which is if you have a beneficial trait, it recommends bumping up the size of a dice. And if you have a um, detrimental trait for something, reducing the size of the dice. And these traits can be gained in-game Although I am a little bit worried about the vagueness of it, as there are those players who will grab, who will try to grab like a, I don't know, samurai trait and say, hey, this gives me the ability to talk to people better because samurai had to learn how to talk to people better. So I guess the vagueness of the traits kind of hinders it very slightly in that regard. But overall because of the versatility of the system if you trust the people that you're playing with to the utmost degree it seems like a very fun system yeah definitely yep i think the dm actually being able to hand out negative traits as well as consequences for failing certain roles is a very fun thing yeah just kind of building on that i think it's really cool that he leaves it open too right it's not like hey these are physical things that affect you uh he actually has an example you can either use a single word or a short phrase, such as berserker, stabbed in the leg, ashamed, um, or lost soul. So they can definitely be overt, right? Um, and I think that sometimes makes players feel more involved and more connected and really gets them kind of... I think that's that might be where some of the personalization comes from uh, in your character creation, even though it's not necessarily you creating it on purpose, right? It's something you're working toward. So defeat... The thing that happens when you're Endurance, which is always 8 without some, you know, optional rules that they provide. When your Endurance drops down to 0, you are defeated. Now, it is a little bit vague on when you are defeated and when you die. Like, when you retreat and when you die, when you are defeated. And I think that... That lent itself to a little bit of confusion in our game, actually, as I kind of waited a little bit to ask if uh, if my character was dead or not, because <laughs> having read this, it seemed like it seems like more often than not you you're driven back or I guess pass out from exhaustion before you die. Right. Yeah. I think I think uh, death in this game is handled very narratively. It's I think he kind of agrees with maybe like something I take into my games, which is, you know, if you're playing a character you really like, you don't want them to die, right? I mean, you want consequences, of course, right? That's how this works. But I think those consequences should be more narrative-based, whether that is hitting zero endurance and being dishonored, right? Or exiled. Um, or if that just means being mortally wounded and you have to seek aid right away. I think it's super interesting. I think it's a pretty unique approach from what I've played. 
of having that be a narrative focus. And even he has a line, characters recover from defeat when the narrative indicates they should. And so death isn't necessarily the greatest obstacle. It's more, you know, there's several ways to get get to that zero endurance. And I think it's really good. And I think it leaves things open. I think that is a fun thing that they carried over from the medieval period where, you know, the people who died on the front lines weren't the knights. Right. Because they were in full plate armor. All they did was get exhausted and lay down and pass out. Exactly, yeah. The peasants, sadly, did <laughs> usually die, but uh, we're not. This isn't a story about them. Right. <laughs> as uh, callous as that is. Improvement. The This is the improvement and toast section of the thief phase, which I wanted to talk about a little bit. We already went over the the problems we have with the placement of toasts. The mechanics of toast I am a little bit worried about because if you don't have a super in tune with each other and super encouraging group, which I mean, you you should try to go for that, but not everyone can have a perfect group just because real life. If you don't have that perfect group and you have very competitive players, they aren't super encouraged to give out glory to each other in regards to like scenes that have happened. I guess in that case, it can be like a DM-sided thing and say, hey, I feel like this person played their scene chivalrously. Yeah, and look around at the table. Hey, do you agree, right? <laughs> but I do feel like this game is sort of a, if not a direct player versus player, then an indirect player versus player. You're you're sort of indirectly competing for prestige, for land, for the favor of the fairest maiden in the land, and so giving other people wealth. If you are competitively minded and not trying to enhance the story, is not something that some people will do. The improvement system, I do like it. It is. A, a cool little math thing where the worse you are at it, the easier it is to improve. And the better you are at it, the harder it is for you to improve, where you try to roll once over your stat. But you can only do it if you did something during the adventuring phase. And I think that's cool because it encourages you to participate in the adventuring phase in the dangerous part of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, I think it's up to the GM. I think it's, I think it's up to you. And I think it's, it's a fairly good thing to teach even of, Hey, encourage your players to acknowledge other people. Uh, and I do think the adversarial part of it is on purpose. Uh, and I think on a, in a longer game, uh, that can lead to some interesting moments. Uh, I kind of tried to build and see if anyone would go for it, even an hour game of maybe joining forces with an invading power based on their religion. But yeah, I think, yeah. I think religion's a weak tie for this group, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's always trial and error, right? And that's that's why I say over a, over a longer game, as honor becomes harder to come by and you want to do cooler things and uh, you start to, like I said, the, the environment starts to feel claustrophobic and it's hard not to step on each other's toes. And that, again, that's by design. He touches on it in the book several times. 
of really encouraging that player interaction, whether it be negative. Um, a big part of Arthurian legend is backstabbing and distrust. Uh, and you really want to be able to take that and run with it. Uh, because that's that's where interesting things happen, right? You can go on you, you can go on a million adventures and kill some geats that are raiding your shoreline all you want, but really the the heart is going to come from that player interaction, and it's going to take it probably takes some facilitating from the GM or from the person running the game. Yeah, it's it's certainly interesting. That brings us into the second half of this book, which is the GM tools. I didn't read this because it's the second half of the book and it seems like it's all gm tools and examples of how play should work out so the examples that they provided how did you feel about that dylan it looks pretty extensive from the quick glance over i have i don't know if this is written maybe <laughs> this this feels like it feels real it feels like this is based off they have an example of play right that it, it's essentially a script of a game of a fairly long i mean it's it's a fairly long example uh, and he has notes kind of written in the margins about different things that happen and what that means and kind of some advice even. It's really well done. It, like I said, it feels really organic. I don't know I don't know if it's based off a real game or not, but it's really, really well done. I think it's a good place to start if you're looking at DMing this to kind of read through that. Yeah, and then like you said, the, the back kind of half of the book is essentially breaking down each group of people for people that aren't necessarily familiar with the world. I don't know honestly kind of just full transparency i don't know how much of this is uh actual like um what is it like folklore right how much of this is accurate to the setting or how much is created if any is created yeah and then whatever he touches kind of on uh different things uh like fairies and magic and things like that it's left fairly open-ended on purpose it's very understated in the book uh, i think there's like a paragraph about monsters and i think it leaves you a lot of room to either run with it but it also kind of has it very understated um, and doesn't overstay its welcome. Uh, and then in the very, very back of the book, there is a uh, kind of breakdown of an adventure um, that you can use. Now, it's really it's really well done. It's really well written. It's fairly short. I think it's like maybe four, maybe five pages. I think for the background, the it is it seems well written. I haven't looked through it, but for an example... It might be a little bit long-winded. Cutting out a couple of things might be easier for the people who aren't as keen on reading. Right, absolutely. But I mean, those people might just skip over this entire section anyway, so it's a take-it-or-leave-it type of suggestion in this case. So overall, the I guess the recommendations for changes we have for the system, for the developer is really changing the timing of the toasts might be better in the free after the free phase after everyone has had two scenes to really explore their characters and to maybe change the wording of the air system to be a little bit looser yeah definitely i think i think i definitely echo those same things um yeah i'm there i mean there could be a mechanical reason why you wouldn't want to put it after free if you wanted to encourage certain things but Honestly, I think it I think it would be kind of easier to read that way. Implementing those same maybe some actual maybe a table laid out as well. Yeah, and then as far as the air system goes, maybe leaving that more open and letting players play out those scenes as opposed to just having it be a mechanic. I think that that pretty much summarizes where I stand on it. I think the system is incredibly well done. It's super interesting and it it leaves it pretty open. 
Uh, and it's in a unique setting. I don't see a ton of games willing to attach themselves to a, to a setting like this. Um, the world creation is very overt about how this should look and what it is. And it, there, I mean, sure, you can rewrite it, but that's not the point. Uh, the point is that it takes place in this world. And I think that's, I think it's a really interesting approach and it doesn't pull any punches. It knows what it is. And it, it's, he, he's clearly very passionate about the setting. And I think that's really awesome. Yeah. I think, uh, I think I agree with that. The, the setting is, it's a fresh take on the original, like, I I think the first big really RPG was Chainmail, if I remember correctly. That is correct. Yeah. And it feels like we've all expanded out from that, and now this developer is going back to that first game, to that first time period, to that first setting, and trying to give it a fresh new look. And I think it works pretty, pretty freaking well. So I think my rating for this game, I'm gonna put it at a seven. I personally, I love, I love the system. I love the simplicity of it. It does ease of use very well it does the character creation very quickly the flexibility is very rigid but i don't think it needs to be super flexible because of the region it's in and how much is built out for that region you can do a lot within that specific setting the way that the game has been set up uh replayability I personally am not too into lower fantasy settings. I am hardcore high fantasy, but I can see the appeal. And if someone is willing to run this game for me, I would continue to play for it. Uh, yeah, see, I'm, I'm the complete opposite when it comes to that, right? I love this low fantasy, very grounded, uh, very almost brutal system uh, world. Yeah, and I think because of that, I, I went up a point higher. I, I, I really like Knight. I, I think it's an eight in my book. Kind of touching on some of the highlights that like i said that theme it's very clear that he's very very passionate about this world it's really really cool to see an author be able to just dive into that and not sacrifice that for the sake of you know of players picking this up and saying well i want to run you know i want more magic in my game it's like okay yeah but that's not necessarily what here where you're here for as far as flexibility goes i think i think this game is tied to this world i don't think you would want to play this in anything else um, I don't think this would be interesting set even in another, even realistic setting, like, like a hundred years war setting or something like that. I don't, I don't think that would be interesting to explore, uh, because those same ideas don't carry through. Um, they are fairly unique to the setting. Yeah. I think, I think it's incredibly well done. I, uh, like I said, this is a game that I really wish that I would have a physical spot for in my house and have a like 3d map with terrain set up and, as things change, move them around a board, right? Like a battle map almost. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool setting and uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to play it again. I probably uh, honestly will uh, at some point. And I also can be persuaded to definitely play this game again. And I'm going to give some serious thought to when it comes out. Uh, if everyone's feeling up to it, we might even do a series on it, but we'll have to see how everything works out with that. I do think it's really funny that 5th edition Monsters of the Week and Night are all rated the same on our official thing. With all that being said, thank you for joining us for our very first episode of Nova. And we hope to see you in the next one.
I literally did a salute with my hand. 